Okay. Hey, is that recording? Great. Okay, guys, we're going to get started. Um, thanks so much for coming. This is your first night. This is the Missoula Real Estate Meetup. Um, I'm Keith Miller. I'm a full-time real estate developer and investor. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the Missoula Real Estate Meetup has three goals. Our, our goals are to learn more about the Missoula real estate market, make authentic connections, which you guys are doing a wonderful job with, and share, sharing strategies and information, what's working, what's not. So um, quick pitch, if anybody is interested in helping out the meetup, uh, we're looking for someone to set up a few social media accounts. So if that's in your wheelhouse, let me know. If not, it's all right, but it could be a good opportunity to make some connections and build the community more. Um, our sponsor for this month is TSI, Title Services Incorporated, a title company here in Missoula. It's my favorite. Um, they're my favorite. They're super responsive to questions. Uh, Brady Potts is my contact there. He's amazing. Um, so anytime you're selling a property, you get to choose the title company. So yeah. Uh, our speaker today is Mike Nugent. He is a managing broker at Berkshire Hathaway. He is also a city councilman and was two votes away from being our mayor. He's also running for mayor right now, and I gave him 20 bucks because I think he's, he's doing an awesome job. Um, yeah, not a lot, but what little I can give. So uh, he's obviously super involved in the real estate community. I could spend like, you know, two minutes going through all the posts he's held, among others, you know, uh, president, past president of Missouri. MOR, the Missoula Organization of Realtors, as well as a bunch of different stuff at the state and local level. Um, I'll leave it at that and hand it over to Mike. Uh, thanks so much, Mike, and come on up. And then let me give you this, Mike. Um, and there's some spots up here if you're having a hard time listening or hearing. You might have a hard time listening. And I would have waited to clap because who knows what I'm going to say. You might not have might not appreciate it. Um, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all and I'll tell you a little bit about myself, but then I would say, uh, raise your hand, ask questions, because I much prefer to talk about housing in a Q&A format um, than to just sit and chat at you about what's going on in the world, because that's just my opinion. And I think what's great about a group like this is it's just a whole bunch of people trying to learn and share ideas. And it's um, fun to see because that's where solutions are found and we certainly need housing solutions in Missoula. Um, as Keith mentioned, in my uh, day job, I'm actually the vice president of Berkshire Hathaway across Montana. I also manage the Missoula office. Um, I currently represent Ward 4 on the city council. And I, prior to being on council, I was on about every housing board or commission you could think of, um, including the Missoula Housing Authority, which oversees uh, public uh, subsidized housing. So I've kind of seen housing from the public sector, the private sector, and now from the um, regulatory angle. Um, I don't like to talk about myself, so I'll leave the, uh, leave the, uh, the bio at that. A couple things I did want to hit on with you just right off the bat. Um, it's kind of actually a fun time to be in housing in Montana. I don't know if you, any of you have been following the legislature at all, but there's lots of interesting conversations and bills um, working their way through the process over there. I think some may be better than others, but there's no doubt that the environment as it relates to housing and the way housing is built and developed and approved is going to look significantly different in three months and six months in a year than it does right now because there's some major things going on. 
Maybe the biggest is um, Senate Bill, I think it's 382, which is going to overhaul the Land Use and Planning Act in Montana. Um, the Land Use and Planning Act governs how subdivisions are approved from minor subdivisions all the way up through the biggest one you could think of in, in town. And it's going to move a lot more of the public process to the front so the community can have a conversation and participate in creating a growth plan and saying this is how we want to grow. But then once the community votes on that and establishes that, we are going to give staff more leeway to approve projects without them having to come to council as often. And then we'll serve more as the appeal board. And the idea would be that that, that will allow for more creativity and also speed up the process. So if you are someone who has the opportunity to do a, a, a boundary line relocation, we want to make it easier for you to do that. So maybe you can create two housing units instead of one or three or four instead of one or two. Um, and so I think that we're, we're kind of excited to, to see where that takes us. Um, I've been part of that process at the state level for the last two legislative sessions. Um, and that, that has kind of encompassed the builders, the realtors, the planners, um, counties, cities, um, anybody who, who you could think of that is involved and touches that industry, um, we're working on that. More locally, I think that Missoula is a wonderful place that is kind of at a, at a crisis point in how we actually act on housing. Everybody likes to talk about housing and the need for more housing and the need for uh, creative solutions. But often when it actually comes time to put those in place and to work on that and to have that conversation, it becomes easy to change priorities and add things to that that sometimes make it more complicated. And I think that's where it's important for a group like this, even if it's kind of in the weeds, to actually be paying attention to what's going on in Missoula right now. Because there is a, a, a two-year process. It's, gonna, it's taking longer than maybe it should, but to, to redo all the codes in Missoula and to make them more user-friendly so that if you wanted to build a duplex on a piece of land you own in Missoula, the idea would be that you don't need to hire a million different professionals to help you understand that process that we can help get you there faster. And, and um, I think that's the way it should work. Um, but we have a lot of work to do and there's gonna be a whole lot of public outreach. So my, my ask of all of you would be to pay attention and to participate in that. There's a website called engagemissoula.com that um, you can go and, and kind of learn more about that and, and kind of jump in and, and uh, honestly make a difference. I know that sometimes people say that um, they don't participate in projects like that because do they really listen to us this one i will tell you they absolutely are listening to people and the voices from all of you are going to matter quite a bit you, quick, quick question about like 382 specifically perfect um <clears throat> one of the only like groups that be pushing back on that was the flathead county commissioners which were saying that there was going to be like they were going to have to do a whole bunch of zoning in order to do that like yeah. what can you speak more about that? Yeah, you see, you're going to take me into the weeds, but Keith <laughs> asked the question. I don't know. I like um, the weeds. The, so 382 uh, is, is premised on if you are a, a municipality or a community or a county who's willing to do the work up front to do the growth plan like we talked about and to, to zone and to do those things that we can make the actual approval process easier. But if you're not willing to do that as a county, you can opt out. 
So Flathead County doesn't have to zone the whole county. Missoula yeah. County does not have to zone okay. the whole county. And that was in the original kind of version of the bill. It was kind of supposed to apply to everybody. But what the legislature kind of pushed back on was not every spot in Montana is created the same. And rural and urban often have different housing needs and different processes. So um, Flathead County, I think, was probably part of that conversation to say, hey, we need a carve out because there are areas where we would like to do this, but it won't work for the whole county. Um, so maybe that answers your question. It maybe does. it doesn't. It does. Yeah. Awesome. Anybody else questions before I just keep talking about, you know, all these great things? This is an opportunity to get really far into the weeds. So when I talk about code reform and why it matters, um, I know just in looking around the room and seeing a lot of familiar faces that there are people in here who have done small projects where they're trying to, to do infill, which is something in Missoula that we say that we want to encourage. And so they're trying to, to find a way to, to put more housing units on a, you know, part of a block or somewhere in the city. And one of the big things that impacts how many units somebody can do is parking requirements and how we look at that and how we count those and where they can be on the property to actually officially count. So code reform covers that. So if you're wondering like, what's an example of something that actually kind of gets, gets down to that point and um, impacts how you might be able to do an investment project or you might be able to, um, you know, create an ADU in your backyard, or you might be able to do something else. Um, parking is an example of how code touches that. Um, before I kind of wander down a different path, does anybody have questions about like code or the approval process? One of the other things I do when I cut my bio short, I chair the land use and planning um, committee for the city council. So every subdivision zoning request, all of that comes through my committee after staff has gone through it and looked at it. I don't control the process time in that you may turn something in and it may take a while to get from you turning it in to getting to my committee. But once it gets to our committee, we try to be efficient with that and um, kind of touch all that. So questions on that front? Yeah. Go. Yeah. Like, really like, yes, please tell one. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Asking for Jesse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, our zoning is eight, and you can only have one door on the facade of the home. What if I want to add another door? I mean, how difficult a process is that? It's the same process because you're asking for a variance, and it's far too complicated right now. Two things. Well, I'm not telling you to just do it. <laughs> I'm also not going to show up and check if you're doing it or not. Um, but, but two pieces that are part of that. Code reform, we want to make it easier for staff to make, make the decision based on the criteria we say and let you do something like that without having to come and have a public hearing at council. So that's part of it. The other part is the legislature actually just passed the bill and it started out as fourplexes for everybody, but they amended it down to duplexes. So assuming the governor signs it, I can't remember the bill number, um, yeah. but there is a, a, a bill that has passed both bodies of the state legislature that will require cities to allow duplexes in all residentially zoned areas. 
So if you live in an HOA, your HOA can still um, oversee that. But if you're just in a generally zoned area, like most of my ward by Central High School, this would allow duplexes. So what that would mean to me is that sooner than later, our zoning is going to have to change to allow you to put a second door in if we're going to allow duplexes everywhere. Um, there is some criteria on that, but but the ability to put sidebars on that has been a little bit limited. Um, there was a minimum lot size bill that that did not get as much traction as some of the legislatures and hope, legislators had hoped. So there still will absolutely be requirements, but they cannot prevent you from doing a two unit duplex by saying that each du each unit has to have. 5,000 square feet of land in so R5.4. So they can't stop that. So that kind of seems like eventually then, I guess I'm going to but uh, eventually then every house there is going to be a duplex. So that, that's... It's a, it's a nice little single family neighborhood. That's a concern, and it's honestly... Yeah, no, no, it's it's a fair pushback, and it's one that I have a little bit of concern about. Um, I think that we are seeing things happen at the legislature because locally, and not just Missoula, but across the board, we've failed to act fast enough to meet some of these challenges. And what we're seeing is a lot of people at the legislature saying, we meet once every two years for 90 days and we want to help solve this problem, so we're going to make this work. Now, would I be surprised if next session we see some tweaks to that bill? I, I would probably expect it. Um, and there will be other barriers to doing that. So for instance, if you don't meet certain parking requirements, you might not be able to do the duplex. If, if the neighborhood doesn't have the infrastructure or you don't have the ability to have the water sewer infrastructure on your property, you might not be able to do that. So there are other kind of factors in that. So you're not going to see it everywhere, but that is a real concern. And I actually, that's one of the reasons I was, I was okay to see that bill amended from fourplexes to duplexes, because I think a duplex is a lot less intrusive on a neighborhood than a fourplex. Um, but really, if we wanted to solve this problem, and again, this is getting in the weeds, but um, if we focused more on form-based code than kind of some of the current, it would matter less if the, the house in your neighborhood is a single-family house or a duplex or even a triplex. It would matter more of what does it look like from the outside and how can we creatively maintain the feel of the neighborhood while also creating more housing. In Title 20, currently in Missoula, they're called mansion apartments, um, where you see what may look like a large single-family house, but it has several units in it. And that's actually allowed in some some of our zoning. So. You certainly can. It's, it's tied to bedroom size. But I, I believe it's one park off-street parking space if it's a one-bedroom and two if it's a uh, two or more right now. Now, how they count those, yeah, see, Jim knows. So he says if it's under 850 square feet right now, it's one parking spot. If it's above 850 square feet, it's two. And how they count it, and you know better than I do, but if, yeah, you can squeeze two beds in 800 square feet, and um, you might, 
if you have one parking spot in the garage, the driveway might count, but it depends on where it's at in the, in the setbacks and the world gets more complicated. So that's a good question. Kind of a detailed one. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it is a concern. And that's why, like I said, that kind of top-down zoning doesn't work in the big picture. An example of where this is actually happening is, um, I don't know how many people are familiar with Capitol Hill in Seattle, but they have changed their zoning and they allow multifamily in a lot more places that were traditionally single-family neighborhoods. And because there's such a housing shortage there and creating housing units becomes so valuable, they are seeing people buy single family and tear those down and build multifamily. Now, working in real estate for the last decade plus, I don't know that we can support that model in Missoula right now, but I think we need to solve some of our other problems before we get there. And it's absolutely a valid concern um, because I, you know, I bought my house on a single family block in a single family neighborhood and it, you know, we, we like where we live. So. Is it the general push from density, density, no matter where we are, or how does it form over, uh, over units? But, I mean, is it still going to be like, like downtown, and, you know, it's commercial, and big family, and it's small, and it's small, or, you know, just like general ideas, or is it more just general? Right now, with what's coming out of the legislature, we are still going to have the ability to do a lot of um, kind of sidebars on what happens. So it's not just all density everywhere all the time, um, because I think, to your point, I think that concerns a lot of people. Um, but some of those tools are being taken away. And um, there's another bill that I believe is headed to the governor's desk that requires municipalities to let residential housing be built in any commercial zone equivalent to the most permissive zoning they have. So in Missoula, downtown, we have very permissive, dense building with limited parking requirements. And if that bill passes and gets signed by the governor, I would say anywhere that's commercially zoned in Missoula would have to allow that same sort of dense housing. Um, so there are definitely things to pay attention to. And that's why we're hoping that we can funnel a lot of those things and hold them off because the bigger land use zoning land use bill that will change the whole process is coming. And I think that's a better way to do it to still give planners in communities who understand some of those problems, the ability to address that. Um, so we might need to be very active at the next session too. It's possible. Did you have another question? We were you covered it. All right. I've completely lost any track of what I was going to talk about, <laughs> which is just fine. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things you'll hear people who talk about housing talk about is the missing middle. And I think that means a lot of things to different people, but I kind of take it to mean two things in Missoula. One is if you walk through your favorite neighborhood in Missoula, chances are, unless it is a subdivision out in Linda Vista or out Mullen Road, we can't build that exact neighborhood right now with our current zoning code. And what, what a lot of the missing middle encourages is creating multiple different types of housing in one neighborhood. So you might have single family duplexes, a fourplex, 
cottages, all of that in a in a large multi-block region. Some commercial mixed use to allow for you know walkability to a um, coffee shop or a little thrift shop or things like that. Um, but the idea is that we're we we are missing this part of creating housing for people who do not qualify qualify for any sort of subsidy, which is affordable housing, but can't afford to buy a house in Missoula. And right now there is a huge gap between people who can qualify for uh, permanently affordable subsidized housing, so stuff at the housing authority that I worked on, and people who are just everyday professionals in Missoula, teachers, firefighters, um, you know, young architects, you know, uh, tradesmen, people, people entering the workforce who don't qualify for any sort of subsidy but still need a place to live. And one of the big things I think probably you all have seen the last couple of years why you're coming to a group like this is because you, you have seen how much that demand on housing is for anybody to live here, apartments, home ownership opportunities. I've obviously spent my career in uh, real estate and I believe wholeheartedly in creating home ownership opportunities for people because that's the, for most Americans, that's the only way they will ever build any sort of security, any sort of personal wealth or anything like that. So I think that that's something that we really have to pay attention to. When we talk about things like equity and things like that, I think that has to be part of the conversation. So, anybody else? Questions? Things we want to talk about? I know you've got stuff. <laughs> I've got some. <laughs> what do I think about the multifamily market? Is in. So, historically, if you've taken the multifamily market, you look at it. We, Missoula often has kind of boom and bust cycles where we, we build a lot. I think maybe some builders would say too much. So then everybody stops building for a while and then we, the demand comes up. What I think is going to happen is we are going to see a lot of housing come on the market this year. You know, we have 400 plus um, permanently affordable houses, which I think are good. And it takes some of our most vulnerable out of the, the worst part of that market. And we have a lot of market rate rental coming on. So I think what you're going to start to see is a little bit of the pressure on that vacancy rate come down and you're going to start to see some movement in rents. I don't think it'll be very big because what often happens is if people, investors get worried that we are bringing on too much, they slow their projects down a little bit because they don't want to compete with that. And Missoula is growing at a rate where we haven't built enough housing in any year since the Great Recession. So we may feel it for six months to a year, but I don't think unless we have continued sustained housing uh, unit growth that you're going to see those rents permanently coming down. And I, I think that there are a lot of places where we do need to see rents come down, but I also recognize that people are building and people are investing and we have to be careful how we have that conversation. I don't have projections on units delivered this year. I, I tend to trust some of the people who do that well. Sterling does it well. Um, there are a few others, although I think maybe they're a little bit uh, conservative on that right now. Um, the, the, both the city planning office and the county planning office will give you a projection based on what's been approved and what building permits are in the hopper. Uh, right. For multifamily, that's actually a pretty good indicator because, you know, they pull multifamily permits and they build a large complex and it takes a while. So you can kind of see that coming. Um, that's a little bit tougher for single family housing um, and small scale multifamily development.
So go for it, and I'll come back. So I'm a believer that the traditional single-family fixed-built um, home is a dead and Oh man, you're a ray of sunshine. I just wonder, you know, in the form based code or maybe in your vision for Missoula, what alternative? I'm a big believer in home ownership as a path forward as well. What could the mayor do or what would you envision to make alternative ownership? Options like condos, townhomes, more accessible to build. Um, you know, townhomes pretty much built a lot in the past, but they're pretty much a done deal. In Missoula, they're a great resource for us. We may keep going with them. <laughs> but I think you know everything's reactionary, it seems, with that townhomes were killed before subdivision reviews. Yeah. So I guess what kind of proactive stuff would you like to so I want to preface one thing. When he's talking about townhomes, he's not talking about, you know, just the two houses that share a wall. That's a townhome. But there's also a whole nother definition of townhome in state regulations that is that has to do with creating lots. And basically, there are projects called townhouse, townhome exemptions or TEDs that is a easier way to do what would normally be called a subdivision and it creates individual lots as long as the parcel it's on is properly zoned and the legislature created that probably four sessions ago now and the idea was that if the city had already had a growth plan and already had zoning and somebody could come in and say i've got a project that meets this they would make it work because it's a lot easier to get 500 apartments through any sort of approval process than it is to get 500 home ownership opportunities. 500 home ownership opportunities, even if it takes the same footprint, will take you a year at the most optimistic, two is probably more realistic. Apartments will take you however long it takes them to get building permits through, which should be shorter than it is, but that's a different conversation. Um, so what happened is the state legislature created this tool and it scared the hell out of local governments because there are a lot of things that need to go into creating significant housing that wasn't allowed for in that law. And so what happened was local governments led by Missoula added regulations to the zoning process to make sure that those types of projects had to do a lot of the things that a judicial subdivision would have to do. And they made them, they rendered them almost useless for large scale. 10 and under are still pretty doable, but large scale, um, it's just not a tool that you see anymore. So when he's asking that question, he's kind of talking about creating entry level housing through the townhouse exemption, which really gets us in the weeds, but is a good question. So going back to your question of what can the city do? I think we have, there's a lot that we can do, but I also think we need to be realistic in expectations and that we, there is no silver bullet. There's nothing that we can do tomorrow that's gonna magically make it significantly easier to do every type of housing in Missoula all at once. But we need to improve our process. We need to improve our approval process. We need to invest in tools that make it easier to embrace condos. And that may be that may involve getting creative. 
And, you know, there's this whole conversation around TIF and how government spends uh, money. Um, TIF is tax increment financing and, and what we've invested in and what we haven't. Um, but when it comes to condos, it's very hard to build a large-scale condo project and make them affordable without some level of assistance or some partnership. And so I think what we need to do is get creative on what we can do on those partnerships. And maybe that's figuring out shared parking. Maybe that's figuring out ways that we can be the guarantee um, on, on the back end of that um, construction process to make it easier. I also think that when it comes to kind of traditional single family neighborhoods, there are tools that we have through SIDs and things like that, that we can partner on the infrastructure. Because when somebody builds a uh, subdivision, the developer in most cases is putting in all the infrastructure. So the cost of sidewalks, the cost of sewer, the cost of water, all just is split up on all the lots, right? And so if we can figure out ways to be more creative and upfront to say, hey, we'll carry the risk as long as we guarantee some level of affordability, and then that is paid back through SIDs over time, I think we have opportunities there. Um, long, the too long didn't read answer to your question is, we need to think outside the box, we need to be bold, and we need to stop feeling like we've got it solved when we don't. Good question. <laughs> Probably ab above, yeah. So yes, actually, and interestingly enough, um, in, the, in the big, we call it the big bill, but in the large land use and subdivision Platting Act, one of the provisions talks about basically making ADUs by right. Um, Missoula actually has a fairly progressive ADU law at this point. It took several iterations to get there. Uh, but what we're seeing is it's actually relatively easy to figure out if, if your parcel qualifies for an ADU. What's more difficult is the cost to build an ADU in comparison to the investment. Um, but it is, the legislature is headed down the path of saying you have the right to do an ADU if you own property in Montana. Now the caveat there is if you live in a subdivision that has an HOA, they get to make their own rules. So the government can't come in and say, right now, the government can't come in and say, you have to let people do ADUs. Down the road, you could see that this, the legislature in Montana is getting more and more um, libertarian as we go on housing, and it's very interesting to watch. So, yeah, basically for covenants to have any real teeth, you need an HOA enforcing them. But that's not to say if there is no HOA, if there are covenants, your neighbor could civilly take you to court and say, you can't do this. Now, depending on how old those covenants are, if they've been enforced, if there are other violations, like that's really a conversation for a real estate lawyer, but it, those are tools in which your neighbors can try and stop things. Am I wrong? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a great question because I think ADUs can be a great tool. And one of the things I'd love to see is we make it a little bit easier for people to do internal ADUs. So using the space that's already in their house. Because one of the problems that, for those of you in the room who are in real estate know, Missoula has had a downsizing problem for years. We have all kinds of people who live in giant ranch-style houses across Missoula, 
who would would move, except they have nowhere to go where they would pay less than what they're doing right now. And nobody wants to downsize into retirement by selling their house and paying more for a smaller condo. So we have a problem there. But one of the things that I think we need to really make sure we can do easier is make it easier for you to create a unit in that house. And obviously there are other factors that we talked about, parking and things like that, but make it easier for you to create that ADU internally. So in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, it's complicated. It's called Go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, I've known multiple people trying to do internal ADUs recently, and it's it's honestly extremely challenging. The, the process they've been going through is is has been really hard. Um, and yeah. and some of the problems with creating a new unit inside an existing unit is there are some pretty high fire code standards for one, exactly. but kind of expectations of how those two units will be separated for safety. And so you actually have to do some pretty decent work internally to make an ADU. Now, I think we can evaluate some of that and see if it's necessary or not, but fire code is probably not one that's yeah. going to go away. And I love the fire department, so if anyone's listening, you know, <laughs> I'm not advocating for that, not at all. Um, but it, it does create a different set of challenges because, yeah. again, there's no one perfect solution. And the reason there's no one perfect solution is, to your point, we don't want just neighborhoods where – everybody does everything with no oversight at all because that's going to create a whole nother set of problems and it's also probably going to lower people's property values quite a bit so all right anything else you want me to talk about while i'm up here any questions i'm wondering uh kind of along the lines of some of the subsidy stuff you were talking about i know like some other states like a non-profit might be exactly We'll rent your properties at you know, a certain level of affordability, you know, like the returns, or, uh, you know, or even the city government stepping in and the state supplying some money for affordable housing. Is there any, you know, I'm not a big developer or anything, is there yeah. like, say it's 500,000 to 5 million kind of range, like, uh, so banks is one I might have to think about, but I'll think about that and I'll send Keith some thoughts so you can get information on that front. Program-wise, there's actually, there's a few and there could be more. And this is an area where, where I think actually Montana is unfortunately not served by our citizen legislature in this area because we meet 90 days every two years and thinking about stuff like that's a little bit more complicated. And so it's hard to get some of those programs into state law around deed restrictions and things like that. But one tool that does exist is you can do a what's called a community land trust. And most people think of a community land trust as like a, a full housing neighborhood where the there's a nonprofit or there's an entity that owns the land and then you own your house on top of it. You pay a real small rental fee and it's your minimum lease is 100 years. Like it, it's a good process and it lowers the prices. Um, most people think of that as a large development, but you can actually do community land trusts one house at a time. And there are programs out there, Trust Montana and others, that are trying to be creative on that front. And I know it's not as simple as I'm saying. Jim's got some things to add to that. There is, but I think we fought it off this session. Um, don't yeah, don't completely quote me on that. But um, there was a there was a bill to completely change the community land trust. Uh, tax definitions, which would have very much 
made this a difficult thing to uh, to do with. But that's one example. There are opportunities out there. One of the things I'd also kind of like to see is if if the community supports a project, I'd like to see some level of a deed restriction that creates that opportunity for the next owner and the next owner to experience that as well. An example, and I don't, I'm not picking on them because I really like their project, but an example is um, the Hellgate Village at the end of Scott Street. I might be getting the name wrong, um, but that was the last single family housing project in Missoula that received any sort of TIF money. And uh, they were able to use TIF money to do the infrastructure, so sewer, water, sidewalks. And they did that in exchange for lowering the listing prices. And so they were very affordable. What opportunities missed was there's nothing that made that that kind of like, say they were 20% below market value. There's nothing that permanently protected that 20% when they went to sell it. So if you bought one before COVID, which is when they sold them, and you lived there for five years or whatever, and you sold it, all of that subsidy was realized by you. And so the next person bought a market rate house. And so I think that it was a great project and we just need to figure out that next step to say, hey, if we're going to invest in this as a community with you, we need to kind of permanently protect that. So, great question. You've got lots of great questions. I'm glad you're sitting right there. This, is, this has made this whole thing a lot easier. All right, anything else I could talk about while I'm here? And I'll, I'll, I'll stay and wander around and you can, you can ask me questions later too, but yeah. For many years, uh, a loaded question. Um, the question that we could hear about is boundary line relocations and how they've gotten more expensive and more more difficult to do. Um, I have a boundary line relocation story that I will I will I will share you know off camera. Um, but it was it was almost unbelievable um, because what happens is there are certain things in the regulatory process that by law have state timelines on them and there are others that don't and so if they get busy on like subdivisions have state timelines if they get busy on that they'll push things to the side and boundary line is often one of them and the boundary line is also looked at by a lot of different agencies and one of them you know sewer connections things like that um i do not have a good answer for you as to why it's gotten more expensive but i don't understand why it should have gotten more expensive So what I would tell you is I would like to see a solution through code reform that makes some of these menu of services easier and more 
almost self-sufficient to do to say, hey, we, you, we've got a lot. It, we're, we want to move the boundary. We're going to end up with two lots. We've got two lots now. They both meet current zoning. Go. And I get frustrated when it's not that simple. I know there are some situations where it can't be. But if we have a city block and the end result is going to be the same number of lots, or maybe we're creating more lots, but it's a, you know, it's a new opportunity, it, it should be a much simpler process than it is. And I think that there's an opportunity to address some of that in code reform. What happens is everybody who's not in the development game gets nervous about making things too easy because they like the oversight. And honestly, they like the oversight because there have been a lot of examples of people doing bad developments. So it's, you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Um, but this is actually something I would like to see us address through code reform to make it easier. And that's true for a lot of things that I would like to, to remove from certain parts of the process if we can. But is there something in the legislature this session on that? Not that I'm aware of. Will there be maybe next session if we don't figure it out? Maybe. Sit on it. Yep. So his his question was part of that process is DEQ. It's so when I referenced sewer, like DEQ actually has to go look at these boundary line relocations. And my question has always been why? Because if it's on a city block that already has sewer service, like. Yep. I mean, in some cases, sure. Yeah. I um, I don't have an answer for you that can be solved right now, but I agree with you. I think that we need to look at why every department has to look at everything and if it's actually required by state statute. And if it's not, we should have a very good reason why we're doing it. And I think that that is something you could see down the road addressed. Yeah, I think that hearing you say we don't want to take those projects anymore because we don't want to work with development services as an agency is a problem that we need to figure out. And um, it. Well, I mean, you know, if people running efficient businesses, they're going to go in the directions of the things that make the most sense. And that's true for investors and that's true for people building housing. It's interesting that we've got you who's an expert and we've got a builder and you guys have different experiences on the same issue, which is part of my, which is, which is part of the area where then I, I, I recognize we need to come up with solutions, but some, sometimes it's more complicated than what I want to just say at something like this and say, hey, I've got it because I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to give you false hope that there's one magic wand, but I do want to talk to you more after this because you sound like you've got some thoughts.
All right. Let's give you a break. All right. <laughs> um, I'll hang around. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all. And um, I think if there's anything you take away from this tonight, I want people to get involved with the process of trying to have this code reform conversation because it will only work if people who understand it are, are participating. And it really matters. And whether I win the mayor's race or whether I'm on council and chairing LUP, I'm going to be part of that process. So anyway, thank you all very much, and I will hang thank around. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. You did a wonderful job. Yeah, yeah. Pull it off. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> thank you so much, Mike, uh, for being for being the punching bag that everyone has tried to build in the last 10 months, gets, you know, or 10 years gets to take it out on Mike. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of challenges if you're trying to be, do any sort of ADU or anything in Missoula. Obviously there's gonna be, you know, hurdles that you have to go over, but I don't know. I, I appreciate having somebody who understands these issues. Uh, yeah, we're working to find solutions. So thank you, Mike, for, for coming and speaking to us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a quick opportunity sharing, which we only started a couple months ago. Um, I Anybody who has an opportunity to share with a group, this could be like a deal you have or something you're looking for a partner or I don't know. It's sort of an open open opportunity because I, I feel like we have, you know, we have our speaker and we have one-on-ones, but I wanted to provide an opportunity to speak up if somebody, if somebody has something they want to share with the group. Does anybody have anything they want to share? Anna, go for it. Okay, I don't know if this is appropriate. Yes. I have a listing in Phillipsburg that I desperately need to sell. <laughs> it's unsold. There's no covenants, whatever. It's mixed use. Okay. It has an awesome retail space on the main level and then an apartment up above. It's two bedrooms. One-ish, two-ish, two-ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Built in like the 1800s. It's modern. It's amazing. <laughs> it needs a little bit of Okay, Phillipsburg. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it. What is the price? Motivated seller. Okay, in Phillipsburg. We're talking to Anna. Anyone? Anyone else? Anyone else want to speak up? Go for it. Okay, owner financing and billings. Thank you. Is it haunted? <laughs> and anyone else? Okay, well, our next meetup is May 16th. <coughs> we have Claire Matten from Sterling CRE. Uh, she is focused on commercial real estate. One of the handful of women endorsed as the CCIM in the state of Montana, the gold standard for commercial real estate professionals. She's going to give us an update with more specific information on multifamily. She's going to have those numbers, which is wonderful, um, as well as the overview of the commercial market uh, in real estate. So, there, and there will be time for questions and answers, as as Mike did. Yeah. She is fantastic. Yeah, I know. Claire, 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 Claire knows knows her stuff. Absolutely. I will, I will absolutely second that. So, 
uh, we have some some high powered high powered speakers coming up. I hope to see you in May. And otherwise, uh, have a great night. They don't kick us out to like eight forty five, so don't rush out. Have a great night, guys. Thanks for coming.